0: Not quite uh, ten years ago, a guy named Alexander Sorokin. He woke up and he realized he had uh, a number of serious problems in his life, uh, and for a whole constellation of real of of reasons, um, something pretty significant switched inside him. He was uh, at that time a little over uh, hundred pounds overweight. He was almost entirely inactive, and as he uh, would say, he spent pretty much all of his free time smoking and drinking, and in some way contributing to his own far too rapidly approaching early death. And so the flip inside him switch The switch inside him flipped. F- <laughs> which one is it? Yes. The flip, the switch, man, this, Okay. And he realized he needed to do something. So he did something wonderful. He decided to take up running. And it turns out that what started as a means of pursuing health turned into something he was pretty good at. And not only was he pretty good at, but he could actually compete. Now, he was 32 at the time he started running. So that means, you know, the 400-meter dash... The 5K, 10K, he's too old to compete in those events. You've got to be young to compete in those events. So he started running marathons and eventually started running ultramarathons. And there was a type of ultra marathon that Alexander became particularly excellent at. See, in the ultra world, there's two types of races. There's the kind you're most familiar with. Here's the distance. Everybody starts here and finishes here. And whoever gets to the end first wins there's another kind of event, sometimes 6 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, where everybody runs for the same amount of time, and whoever runs the farthest in that time wins the race. Well, just a couple years ago, sorry, just a couple months ago, not even 10 years after Sorokin went out the door for his first run, Just a couple months ago, he set a new world record in the 24-hour race category, beating the old world record, which had been set by him one year earlier. In 24 hours, he ran 319 kilometers, which is 198 kilometers. Miles, which averages out to a seven minute 15 second per mile pace for 24 hours (sighs) okay two weeks ago i went for a seven mile run and i ran not quite that fast and i'll tell you one thing for sure after finishing seven miles i was not going to run another 193 that was not going to happen I want to preach a sermon this morning that is our third and final in the mini series on perseverance. And I would like to title the sermon, Persevere Part Three Run Your Race. Now, I hope that your race is not a world championship 24 hour ultra marathon. But if each of us is running a race, and maybe like Sorakin, each of us has some things in our lives that might be preventing us, harming us, hurting us, holding us back from running the race marked out for us, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time reading Scripture. And I hope and I pray that whatever race we are running in our lives, whatever challenging circumstances are demanding our perseverance, we could learn how to run with perseverance. And the reason I started with a story about running is because we're reading this morning uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there now, we're going to read the first three verses in Hebrews chapter 12. What I honestly think is the crescendo of the entire book of Hebrews. The author has been laying foundations with all sorts of historical and theological trains of thought. And then chapter 11 is this rousing speech, which we're going to look at more in a minute. And chapter 12, 1 through 3, if I think if we had been in the first congregation where it was being read out loud, whoever was reading it would have been shouting with the enthusiasm of these three verses. So, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Run your race. The author wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Would you pray with me again? God, it's ultimately your voice we want to listen to. It's your words that we want to hear and respond to in our lives. And I pray that that would be so for each of us, and for all of us. Amen. All right, so just to be clear, um, the author of Hebrews is the one that introduced a running-related theme. In this. The author of Hebrews is the one that put it there. I'm just going where the text is leading. That's all that I'm doing here. If you notice a running theme, good job. Um... Brief summary. This is our third week on perseverance. Here's what we said the previous three weeks. Two weeks ago we said um, the author of Hebrews quoted Isaiah. And the reason they quoted Isaiah was to, to highlight just this brilliant thing Isaiah does where the first 24 chapters of the book are all about warnings and judgment and the danger of sin. And then there's two chapters of song after song of praise. And after the songs of praise comes God's promise of deliverance. So we said if we want to learn how to persevere, we need to remember that praise is the path to perseverance. Last week, we looked at how the author of Hebrews quoted Habakkuk. And like many of the Old Testament prophets, the book of Habakkuk is talking about all the different ways that God has been faithful to his people generation after generation. And we need to confront the reality that when we're looking at things that seem too big for us to handle, far too often we let our circumstances determine what we think about God instead of letting God determine what we think about our circumstances. So perseverance requires a paradigm shift. What I want to talk about today is this question. If if sometimes the race of life uh, feels a little bit like, if we can imagine it, trying to run 24 hours nonstop, where at some point along the line, we've just got nothing left in the tank, our legs are so hurting and sore and tired, there's no way we can go on. When fatigue has completely set in, how do I keep running? How do I do it? And I think Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, gives us four, I was going to say three, four things that I want to pay attention to, just coming straight out of the text. Um, so we're going to go in order. I'm going to talk about crowded stadiums, weighted vests, course markers, and everybody's favorite word. No, you, you jump the gun. Get back to the last. Cruciformity, which I will define later. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about. This is one of those, for you for those of you that like order and predictability... There you go. I just gave you exactly where we're going. Some of us just like, oh, we feel good about that. (sighs) All right. Um, Crowded stadiums. The author of Hebrews said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask what the therefore is there for. Let it sink in. Good one. Um, picture this. actually, no. This first. Let me ask you a question. Uh, think back over your life. Think back over however many years or decades you 've lived. and who are the people that have been your greatest heroes in life? Take a minute. let your mind wander. Who are the people whose life, whose actions, whose words, whose influence were a support, an encouragement, a benefit? Who are the heroes of your life? Let, let, let their names, let their faces come to mind. Maybe they are people that if you told me my, their name, I, I would have never heard of them. They were just individuals in your life who spoke the right word at the right time, who gave you a comfort, comforting arm, uh, you know, to, to hold you in difficulty. Or maybe they're People whose names I would recognize. Maybe they're famous authors or preachers or uh, individuals that you might not know personally, yet their life and example has been a positive influence. Let, let that come to your mind. Who, who, are, who are all the people that have been heroes, that have been strength and support to your life? Everybody got you, got, you got names? You got faces? Give me some nods if you have names and faces. Okay, good. So now picture this. Imagine you're running a race, Maybe you're running a race at one of the ancient Olympic stadiums, like the one in Olympia, right here. And imagine you're running a race, you're running a long race, and you get tired in the middle of the race, and your legs hurt, and your lungs hurt, and you're thinking to yourself, I just can't go on. But you look up into the stands of the stadium around you. Because you can hear that they're filled with people who are cheering you on, trying to encourage you. And as you look up into the stands, you realize... They're not just filled with strangers cheering you on, but you realize that the stadium is crowded full of your heroes who have all showed up to cheer you on to run this race. Whew, that would be, I think, strengthening and encouraging and motivating to me to keep running even if I thought I couldn't go any further. Now, If I was preaching not to a congregation in Littleton, Colorado in 2022, but rather if I was reading a sermon written by an author who we don't know to a group of Jewish Jesus followers living in the ancient empire of Rome, somewhere around the capital city, Rome, And I wanted to encourage them to persevere by maybe encouraging them to consider some of their heroes of faith. If I asked them the question, who are some of the women and men whose lives have been inspiring to you, I can almost guarantee that some of the names that would have come to their minds would have been the names of the people in the stories of Scripture, the names of the women and men of faith who had gone before them and who had lived lives of faith through every imaginable difficulty and circumstance. And in our passage for today, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the chapter right before that, the author brilliantly puts into the congregation's mind the names of some of those heroes of faith who are that great cloud of witnesses, that crowded stadium filled with people who are cheering them on in their race. Let me remind you, if you want to try to follow along, let me me remind you, I'm going to read just some snippets of Hebrews chapter 11, the part that leads up to chapter 12. The pastor said, here's what faith is. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. By faith, Noah, when warned about the flood, he built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he didn't know, he obeyed and he went. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. By faith, Moses' parents presented him for three months after he was born. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be acknowledged as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't even have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, the prophets, who through their faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. These were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had something better for us so that only together with us would they be made Perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. If the author's point is that in, in some spiritual way, those of us living the life of faith today are currently surrounded by a stadium filled with people cheering us on, if that's true in some spiritual way, Then my question is, doesn't it make sense for that to be true in a real, physical, day-to-day life sort of way? Let me ask you, if you are in a place in life where you really need perseverance, have you surrounded yourself with people who are going to support you as you run this race marked out for you? When fatigue sets in and we don't think we can keep going, how do we keep running that race? My first thought from Hebrews is you do it by surrounding yourself with people who will support your perseverance. Crowd that stadium with as many women and men as possible who you know will be with you, cheering for you as you run the race. The author goes on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I want to talk about weighted vests. Now, if you were to, um, for some reason, make your way into a CrossFit gym. CrossFit is this strange sort of weightlifting plus gymnastics plus like competitive sport Thing that exists out there. If you were to make your way into a CrossFit gym, it wouldn't be very long until you found out about one of their most famous workouts. The workout is called Murph. They all have names. And here's what you do when you do the workout called Murph. You run a mile, and then you do a hundred pull-ups, obviously then you do 200 push-ups, and then you do 300 squats, and then the icing on top, you run another mile. Allegedly. I've never tried. Now, if you're one of the elite and you want to compete in the CrossFit Games, in the competition known as Murph, then you do all this, except you do it wearing a uh, 20-pound... Weighted vest. <laughs> why? Why do people do these? Why do people come up with these things that they do? I don't know. I don't know why. But uh you do wow, this is totally unplanned and awesome. Here comes somebody wearing a 20-pound weighted vest right here. Okay, you're gonna we're gonna do this right. This is on the fly. Is this this looks like more than 20 pounds? 50. <laughs> so now here's the question. Here's the question. In in Murph, in Murph, wearing the vest is part of the competition. So in Murph, you have to wear the vest. But imagine this. Imagine you're trying to do this workout. You're trying to run your race, run a mile, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, etc. <laughs> but imagine you didn't have to weight the vet wear the weighted vest. And you show up to the starting line and you're kind of looking up and down, and everybody's on the starting line, and you look over and you go. You don't you don't have to wear that vest for this race. Don't. <laughs> We're a little out of the order of the slides, but you know what i tell you to do? i tell you to drop the vest. Let's give it up for Ryan Lounsbury, everybody. That was fun. Why do you have that? We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Uh, let me ask you this. As you're trying to run the race of your own life, trying to persevere when the going gets tough, what's making it harder for you to persevere? Is there a habit that you've become a little too familiar with in your life that you just won't let go of even though you know it's hurting you? Is there a relationship in your life that's so toxic and poisoning your heart and your mind and sapping your energy and just yeah, you just can't get out of it? Is there a lie that you've believed about yourself for so long it feels like a pet and you just won't do the work of getting over that lie you believe about yourself? What are the weights that are holding you down that you just don't need to carry? If we want to learn how to persevere, the first thing we got to do is surround ourselves with supporters. But the second thing we got to do is drop the vest. Admit if there's weights we're carrying that we just don't have to carry and take them off. Third thing that the author of Hebrews talks about is course, markers. This is um, Jim Walmsley, one of the greatest 100-mile ultramarathon runners in the world. Now, back in 2014, Jim Walmsley was about about to run his very first ever 100-mile race. And he decided to to make a big splash. He didn't sign up for just any 100-mile race. He signed up for the Western States 100-mile endurance run. One of the greatest, most world-famous 100-mile runs in the world. And not only did Walmsley decide to make that his first run, he made it known in advance that he planned not only to win, but to also break the course record on this run. Gutsy, Jim. Gutsy. Mile 50... He's in first place. He's almost 20 minutes ahead of the course record. Mile 75, he's almost 30 minutes ahead of the course record. Mile 90, still about 20 minutes ahead of the course record, and second place is over an hour behind him. He's running so fast that for the past 20 miles, not a single one of the many pacers he had with him could keep up with him anymore. So he's just been running for 90 miles, and he's all by himself. And he's on a gravel road when he comes to a point where the gravel road keeps going forward, but there's a few little flags indicating that the course turns onto a small, single-track path. But apparently, when you've just been running 90 miles and you're by yourself, your attention is not at its best. And Jim missed the turn. And he ran six or seven extra miles down the gravel road before he intersected with a highway and looked around and said, this is not where I was supposed to intersect with a highway. He got completely lost until finally the course marshals found him wandering on the highway, not sure where he was, brought him back to the race course. He ended up getting 14th place and learned a little lesson about course markers. I mean, there's, there's nothing more just heart-wrenchingly discouraging than realizing that you just ran seven extra miles in the wrong direction on a race that you didn't even need to run. The author of Hebrews said, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let me ask you, Do you know what race you're running? I mean, if you're training for a 100-meter dash, you better be doing something different than if you're training for a 100-mile endurance run. Those are two very different races with two very different demands in your training plan. And if you're going to run the race, it really helps to know where the twists and the turns in the race course go. And so I was thinking, how do I, how do we know what race it is that has been marked out for us? And I realize there's, there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a complexity to that. See, on the one hand, the race is simply uh, following Christ. Every single one of us is running the exact same race. It's called living my life so that I follow Christ. There's a lot of people I can follow, but I want to follow Christ. And in some ways, the moment I do that, there's a bunch of things that I know are true for me and are true for everybody who's trying to follow Christ. The moment I make this the race of my life, then I'm going to try to live my life by being who God made me to be. I'm going to say, there's a lot of people in the world trying to tell me who I am and where to find my identity and what that looks like, but I'm going to be the person God made me to be. And the moment that happens, I'm going to be pursuing growth because I know I am not yet fully the person God made me to be. So following Christ means pursuing growth, becoming more of who I am. And once that happens, I'm going to realize I can't do this alone. I've got to share the journey. And when by God's grace we become more filled with God's Spirit, become who we are, then we're going to be given the joyful opportunity to activate God's love and give to others what God has given to us. This is the race all of us... These are the course markers on the race that every single one of us is running. And yet, we also have different personalities. We have different gifts and passions and abilities. We've been been made with an intellect and a a heart and, and put in context and surrounded by relationships that make each of us uniquely capable to do different things. The twists and turns on each of the trails we're running look a little different. It's the same general course... Marked out in slightly different ways. And I was thinking, so how do I capture this idea that it's the same course for all of us, but it's unique for all of us, and somehow those two things come together to, to mark out the course I'm running in my life? And the thought that came to mind, the word that came to mind, was really put on the map in, in my life uh, when I read long ago um, the book by a really well-known pastor, author, named Rick Warren. He wrote the book, The Purpose driven life. And he basically made the argument that I kind of outlined. The starting point is to figure out the general scope of how God is calling us to live and then the unique aspect of who I am and say, when those two things come together, we call that purpose. And as I thought about that, I realized purpose enables perseverance. Running mile after mile after mile on some random dirt road Really, really hard to keep running if there's no purpose to that running. But having a purpose that's been given to you by your God, oh, that will provide the strength that we need. So when we're tired and worn out and we don't think we can keep going, how do we persevere? Surround ourselves with supporters. Drop the vest. And know your purpose. Know who it is that God made you and where it is God's calling you to live. In your life. Last but not least, cruciformity. Uh, Cruciformity means being conformed, letting your life, who you are, how you live, the words you speak, the actions you, you take in your life, letting your life get formed to look like the cross. The author said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, let me read that again, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition, next slide, Uh, consider him, back one, there we go, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, here's, here's the really good news. See, when we consider Christ, who Christ was, the race marked out for him, crucifixion, was the race marked out for Christ. When Christ came to earth, he went to the cross bearing the burden of the brokenness of sin so that we wouldn't have to bear the burden of the brokenness of sin. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death so that we wouldn't have to defeat the power of sin and death. Crucifixion, resurrection, and the one with the power, that was Christ's job, which means, good news, that's no longer our Job. Crucifixion was the race marked out for Christ. Cruciformity is the race marked out for you. And since He already did the work to make that power available, His power is in us so that we can be like Him. Far too often, I think we tell ourselves, well, The moment I solve this problem in my life, then I'm going to go to God in His strength. The moment I work things out in this relationship, then I'll commit it to God. The moment I uh, rise far enough up the ladder in my career, then I'll dedicate it to God. So often we like to think, first I'm going to do something, and then I'll bring God into the equation. And that's exactly backwards of what God invites us to do. He says, I've already done everything, so come to me now, so that my power can be sufficient for you Always. How do we persevere when we don't think we could possibly take another step? We surround ourselves with supporters. We drop the vest. We do the hard work of figuring out who we are so that we know our purpose. And through it all, we depend every day, in every circumstance, on Jesus. Which means we have to ask ourselves, what's your move Going to be. Acknowledging the reality of the difficult circumstances we're in, in which we need to persevere. How do we do this? I was thinking about the the growth challenge. Uh, About 30 of us right now who are actually asking this same question. We're saying, God, where are you calling me to grow in my life? And, And the first question we put to everybody who takes the growth challenge, the first question we put to us all is, How is God? calling me to grow. And we spend time, and we spend prayer, and we get in conversation, and we give you some resources just say, what's, what's God doing in my life? What's the thing God wants to do in me so that I become more of the kind of person who can persevere? But I realize there's a, there's a problem with the way we do things in the growth challenge. There's a problem to some of the things we're talking about. And the problem is, we live in a world that tells us constantly... Whatever problem you have, I have a solution that is just one click away. Click here, and I will fix this problem. Click here, and I'll fix that problem. Read this news article, and it'll solve this tension. Click here, and it'll answer that problem. We live in an instant messaging, super fast microwave, clickbait world that tells us time and time and time again that whatever problems or challenges or obstacles we face in life, there's a quick, easy, instant solution for you. I stumbled across a book by an author who's kind of a social critic. Just reads broadly and, and questions and challenges what he sees in the world around us. His name is Evgeny Morozov. I don't know if I got that right, but he was he was critiquing this instant solution culture we live in, this clickbait culture we live in, and he wrote a book titled "To Save Everything, Click Here." But I think sometimes we believe that's true. That maybe what we need is just one click away. When in fact, this lifelong journey that we have to share with others, of following Christ, this this lifelong journey of becoming, through God's power, the kind of person who can and will persevere in the midst of anything we're going through, it only happens with time. With the work of self-reflection with a hard work of honesty and vulnerability and prayer. So let me close as we consider what your move is going to be um, by asking four questions um, to maybe prompt whether a crowded stadium of supporters or dropping the vest or knowing the purpose or depending on Christ might be where God's calling us to make our next steps in faith as you consider your life, as you consider whatever challenges you're facing right now, ask yourself, do I need to ask for help? Am I trying to do this alone and I've been white-knuckling it for far too long and I finally just need to say to somebody, I can't do this anymore. Do I need to ask for help so that I can surround myself with the support that I need? Or maybe ask yourself, do I need to confess a weakness or a sin in my life. I've been believing that lie. I've been letting this toxic relationship get in too much. I've been harming myself with this hurtful habit for far too long. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm trapped by sin, and I finally just need to confess, at least to myself, certainly to God, hopefully to somebody I could trust, so that finally I can drop that vest that I've been carrying. Do I need to learn to pray? If I'm going to know my purpose, then sometimes my habit of prayer becomes far too much about me talking at God. Something that's a fine thing to do, but if I never bother to stop and listen, it's going to be hard for me to hear His voice. Do I need to learn how to pray so that finally from Him I can know the race He has marked out for me? And last, but certainly not least, Do I know Christ? And not just know about him, not just know where to read a book about him, not just know that other people talk about him, but actually know him in the kind of intimacy and relationship that says, I can know him more and depend on him more each and every day. Would you guys pray with me? God, as we've done so many times, uh, we just acknowledge that we're facing some mountains that seem bigger than we'll ever climb. We're we're swimming across some oceans that seem like the end will never come in sight. Maybe not every one of us right now, but I'm, I'm certain that every one of us has or we know somebody that is right now asking you, God, how long and do I have what it takes to persevere? I pray right now, God, that each of us would make a commitment to find some space to ask these hard questions? Do I need to ask for help so that I can get surrounded by the support I need? Do I need to confess my weakness, my sin, whatever is holding me back so that in community I can finally drop the weighted vest that I'm unnecessarily carrying? Do I need to learn how to quiet my heart and quiet my mind so I can hear your voice whispering to me the course you've marked out Do I need to stop pretending, relying on other people's faith and get to know you, my God, my Savior, so that I can truly and fully depend on you in the knowledge that you, God, have given me all that I need? We pray this in the name of God, the Father who made us and sustains us as expressions of his love. In the name of Jesus, the Son, who gave his life for us so that we might have life. In the name of Holy Spirit, who is with us and strengthening us each and every day. Amen.